Okay, so we started the book of Acts a year and a half ago, and you guys have sat through the preaching of every single passage, of every single chapter, and now today we have finally arrived at the very last scene, and therefore the very last sermon in the whole book. Okay, so well done, everyone. You've done it. You've studied the whole book. And since we're all now experts in the book of Acts, later in the sermon, there will be a pop quiz. Just so you know, it's going to happen. Those are the rules. When you're done with the book, you've got to do a pop quiz. Just kidding. It's not the rules, but it'll be fun. We will do it, okay? Um, before we begin, though, in the sermon, since this is the last scene in the book of Acts, let me just briefly summarize what the whole book was about, okay, to refresh our memories the past year and a half. It's about so many things, but in a nutshell, okay, one of the major themes of the book of Acts is a story where God advances his gospel message, the message of the cross, forgiveness of sins through Christ alone. He advanced that message from his people to the ends of the earth. That's, that's in a nutshell, simply what it's about. And in order to do this, we've seen God use his people in the early church, but he especially used one guy whose name was Paul. And Paul, we've read for the past year and a half, just kept going. He kept preaching the gospel. He kept bringing it to different people despite the setbacks and the beatings and the riots and imprisonment, even shipwrecks. Paul finally, in our passage today, arrives at his end goal destination to preach the gospel where? In Rome. That wasn't the pop quiz, but he did end up in Rome. But why Rome? Okay, why was Rome so special? Well, because Rome back then represented the whole world, okay? It was one of the most, if not the most, diverse and influential region in the world. It was like New York and London and Paris and Jakarta all combined in one region. I threw in Jakarta in there just because, you know, why not? <laughs> but that's what Rome was. To the people back then, in a very real way, it was, it was the capital of the world. It was the center of the earth, so to speak. And, and that's exactly where God wanted the gospel to go. That's, that's what the book's about, right? For the gospel to go to the center of the earth, to the heart of the world. And with this, the whole book of Acts concludes very nicely. Because in chapter 1, Jesus begins by telling his disciples that you'll be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, till the ends of the earth. And now it ends with Paul preaching the gospel where? At the quote-unquote end of the earth or center of the earth, which is Rome. So with this book ends like this, it communicates that Paul's job is done and the job of the early church is done. It's complete. But at the same time, our job, the church today, it just began. This last scene is less a closing of a story and more so a passing of the torch. Okay, so let's get into it. How does this passage encourage us, the church today, to continue on the gospel mission Here's the word of God. Take from Acts chapter 28, verses 16 to 31. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, 
Therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here as reporter has spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to the sect. We know that everywhere it's spoken against, referring to Christianity. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their, eye, with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thus says the Lord and ends our reading in the book of Acts. I keep saying that because I am excited about it. But I do want to point out three things in our passage today that I think should encourage us, the church, to continue on the mission of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, okay? First, the gospel story. Second, the gospel's beauty. And lastly, a gospel people. The gospel story, the gospel's beauty, and a gospel people. Let's start with our first point, the gospel story. Okay. As promised, here's a pop quiz. And if you know the answer, don't raise your hand. Just say it out loud, okay? Because the elders said if 80% of you get it right, I get a raise. That's the agreement. <laughs> I wish. All right. So through the book of Acts, every time Paul goes to a new region and preaches the gospel there, okay, in this new region, which group of people does he always, always, always go to first? The Jews. Some of you were listening. I'm joking. Um, yeah, it is, it is the Jews, okay? And we see that here again in this, in this passage. And that's a little confusing to us because why is that the case? Why is that the pattern over and over and over again? Every time Paul goes to a new region, he always goes to the Jews or the synagogues where the Jews were first because Paul wanted to make a point here. He wanted to make a point that the gospel story started at some place. Okay, we see it again here in Rome. He was going to Rome. It's the ends of the earth, right? He had options. He could have gone to any other people group that was in Rome. But yet in verse 17, it says that after three days, he called together who? The local leaders of the Jews again. And it's like, why? This is the gospel story. Think about it. Where did the gospel story start? In, in many ways. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, right? God's relationship with his people was broken. After that, whose descendants in the Old Testament did God say will end up fixing this problem? Whose descendant did God say will save and redeem his people from the snare of sin? It was Abraham's descendants, right? In many ways, that's where the story started. It started with Abraham. Abraham, whose descendants then became who? The nation of Israel. 
the Jews through whom Christ was born. That's the story. It started with the nation of Israel. That's why Paul kept doing this pattern. He wanted to emphasize that story, that salvation started with them. They were the means, not the end goal. Okay, that's important. Israel was the means through whom the Savior was born. And that's why in verse 21, when Paul shared the gospel to them, he didn't say this. Listen, guys, I'm about to tell you something completely new. That's not what he said. Look at verse 21. He said, guys, the good news about Jesus Christ that I'm about to share with you, it is the hope of Israel. It's the hope of Israel. This new gospel is rooted in the old. Unto us, a child is born. In fact, through us, Paul speaks to the Israelites here, through us, a child is born, through Israel. But here's what's so shocking about this gospel story. Think about it. If Jesus was born, if the Savior was born through Israel, okay, through their storyline, if it all started with them, who then should have been the most obvious candidates to first receive Jesus? It should have been the Jews. It should have been Israel. They should have been the first ones going, the Savior's here. The child is here. He's here. But yet over and over again throughout the book of Acts, the Jews that Paul goes to always rejects Jesus. They always reject the gospel, which again is what we see here in verse 24. They rejected Jesus. And that's the shocking part of the gospel story. God's reminding us here that yes, this story started with Israel, that they're the most obvious candidates. But the most obvious candidates weren't the ones who got the prize. The ones who looked like they should have gotten it. The ones everyone thought, of course it'd be them. I mean, look at them. It's them. They're the ones who did not end up with the blessing. Paul spent all day, verse 23 says, from morning to evening trying to convince them. But in verse 24, many of them disbelieved and just straight up left. Now, before we get to the beauty of the gospel, friends, I believe, first of all, this is a warning to us today. Because, if I can be honest, when I look at this room, friends, every single one of you look like the obvious candidate. You do. You're at church. Many of you grew up in a Christian family. Many of you went to Christian schools. You know the lingo. You know the song. You memorize the verses. You know the stories. You've joined the retreats. That was confirmation from God. I don't know what that was. <laughs> you know all of them. You address, we dress like, you know, the obvious candidates. We speak like the obvious candidates. But what God's saying here, friends, is be very careful. That doesn't guarantee you anything. Even the most obvious candidates could still have hearts that are deaf and blind to the beauty of the gospel, which leads us to our second point, the gospel's beauty. Okay. So the obvious candidates, the Jews, they said no to the gospel again. They rejected Christ again. And what does Paul do next? Well, he rebukes them. And he rebukes them by quoting an Old Testament passage that he took from Isaiah chapter 6, the passage that we read in our confession of sin earlier, okay? The prophet Israel, back then, rebuked 
uh, sorry, the prophet Isaiah rebuked Israel in the Old Testament like this. You'll indeed hear, but you'll never understand. You'll see, but you'll never perceive. Your ears can barely hear and your eyes have closed. You've been exposed to the gospel your whole life, he says. For a long time now, at least. But for some reason, you're still deaf to it. You can't hear it. Why not? This part is key. Because, verse 27 says, because your heart is dull. Your heart is dull. Now, we'll get to the beauty of the gospel soon, but we won't see it unless we first go through this rebuke, okay? So, so stick with me. When Paul, or Isaiah, told the Jews that your heart is dull, the dullness here isn't referring to like a dull knife, you know, when something is tumpul or not sharp, you know, that's not the dullness that Isaiah and Paul is talking about. In the original Hebrew, the dullness here refers more to a kind of dullness that you feel when you've eaten too much food. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you do. We all do. Okay? You go to a buffet and you're so full, you just made bad decisions, okay, in that room. You eat way too much, your stuff to where your senses become kind of dull. You know what I'm talking about? You can barely talk. You can barely hear. You're sleepy. Your eyes can barely open. You just feel dull. That's the kind of dullness Paul's talking about here. Their hearts were so full, Paul's saying here. Their hearts were so stuffed that the gospel just kind of fell dull on their senses. It didn't affect them at all. But the question that we should ask then is, What are their hearts so stuffed with? What's it full of? Because it can't be food, right? So then what is it? Well, friends, it's stuffed with self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. Paul, they said, come on, man, look at me. I'm obviously the candidate. I've been the obvious candidate my whole life. This whole salvation thing is is, is for me. I don't need help from this Jesus guy. I got this. Self-sufficiency, self-righteousness. So in verse 28, Paul goes, all right, well then let it be known to you that the salvation of God will go to the Gentiles instead. They'll listen, he says. They'll listen. And here, friends, we see the beauty of the gospel. What beautiful news do we see here? Well, it's the beautiful news that Jesus apparently didn't come to save the obvious candidates. Who did he come for? He came. This child was born for those who thought that they had no chance of getting in. The Gentiles. He came for the ones who kind of threw in the towel when it comes to this whole God thing. He came for the dirty, the unworthy, the least likely to make it kind of people. They'll listen, Paul says. Not you guys. Why? Because their hearts aren't stuffed with self-righteousness. See, there, there are two different kinds of hearing. You know that ice cream guy that goes around our neighborhood? The song passes by. Na, 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 na. Is that sari roti? I don't know. It's something. It's a food, right? It passes by, and you hear it. You know, imagine you're at your house, and through the window, you hear the song pass by. 
But you just got back from eating that huge buffet we talked about earlier, where you made all those bad mistakes, okay? And you're completely stuffed. So you, you hear it, you listen to it, you hear that song, but you don't really hear it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like just white noise to you. Why? Because you're full. In fact, it might even make you feel sicker. Ugh, just I can't eat anymore. I'm so stuffed. That's one kind of hearing. But on the other hand, if you're starving, if you're parched, if you haven't eaten or drank anything all day, and all of a sudden you hear that song, it'll sound completely different. It won't just be white noise on the background. It won't make you sicker. What, what will it do? It'll perk up your ears. It'll grab your attention. It might even make you salivate. Why? What's the difference? You're hungry. The Gentiles will hear the news of the gospel differently than you, Paul says, because they're not stuffed with self-righteousness. They know their spiritual poverty. You know what God's trying to tell us here? He's saying this. How loudly, friends, your heart hears the gospel today is less dependent upon how well I preach it. And it's much more dependent upon how stuffed your heart is with self-righteousness when you walked in through those doors. Are you stuffed? Are you full of it? When Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. What's the assumption there? The assumption there is that Jesus' sheep will be what? Hungry. They'll be hungry. They're starving for the bread of life that Jesus offers on the cross. Are you stuffed? Because I can't win. I can't win against stuffed hearts. Jesus didn't come to pat righteous people on the back. He came to die for people who know beyond a shadow of doubt that God would never accept them just based on their own record. That's why he came. And I hope you truly hear this because this is exactly what set God's people apart from the rest of the world. And this brings us to our last point. The gospel story, the gospel's beauty, and a gospel people. A gospel people. This is what marks us, friends. If you guys notice, throughout this passage, Paul very slowly started to disassociate himself from the Jews. Okay, look at what he said when he first started talking to them in verse 17. He called them what? Brothers, right? He associated with them. And then he used phrases in verse 17 as well, like, our fathers, because remember, Paul himself was a Jew. Our fathers, brothers. But then after they rejected the gospel in verse 24, Paul switched up his language. He no longer, he longer said our fathers. He started to say your fathers. The Holy Spirit spoke to the prophet Isaiah to your fathers, not my fathers. There's a distinction drawn now by Paul with the Jews. But why? Why draw that line between him and, and the rest of the Jews? I thought the gospel was supposed to unite people together. I thought the gospel was not supposed to draw lines. Well, yes, the gospel is meant to unite people together, but the gospel unites people together not by deleting lines. I'll explain what I mean later. The gospel unites people together by drawing the right kind of line. 
What do I mean? See, a truth that I think we often don't like to admit, or perhaps just don't realize, is the fact that it's impossible to not draw lines. It's impossible to not draw lines. Every single one of us here draw lines. Even the most inclusive groups of people draw lines. People who say, they, there will never be exclusivity here, ever. By saying that, they just drew a line and they kept exclusive people out. You see, it's impossible to not draw lines. We will always draw lines at some point. The question of inclusivity isn't how can we delete the lines. That's impossible. The question is, how do we draw the right kind of line? The kind of line that when drawn actually invites all to come. And the offer here to us is that that line is the cross. It's the gospel. That is the only line that says the least likely candidates are in. It's like, what? Yeah. The ones who think they can't come in, they're invited. The ones who feel unworthy, they're the ones who will hear this message the loudest. So when Paul drew a line here between him and the Jews, he wasn't being prideful. He was disassociating himself with those who felt happy and satisfied with their own righteousness. And he associated himself instead with who? With other beggars of righteousness, with the Gentiles. And that's why in verse 30, Paul welcomed all who came to him. He welcomed the people that the Jews would have looked down on. Anyone, everyone, Gentiles, any nation, come. Why? Not because he didn't have lines, but because he drew the right kind of line. And this is a huge point in the book of Acts. God ends the whole story by defining very clearly, drew line, who his people are. My people, God states here, is not a collection of people from the same race or the same income bracket or the same social standing. My people is a collection of beggars. My people are beggars who plead to Christ that he might cover them with his righteousness. That's the line. And because that's who we are, friends, that's exactly the reason why we, like Paul, also continue to preach the gospel and carry on with the mission. This is why Paul kept doing it. Look at verse 30. It says that Paul lived the rest of his life in Rome, rest of his years in Rome, preaching the gospel to anyone who would come to him at his own expense. And let's conclude here. At his own expense. His whole ministry has been at his own expense. From Acts chapter 9 onwards, ever since he received the gospel, ever since his life was changed by the gospel, he shared it with others. He planted churches. He went on mission trips. He preached it everywhere he went, and it cost him everything. It cost him his old community. It cost him all of the um, pedigree people thought he had. It cost him his riches. It cost him his reputation. But he left it all, and he kept going, and he kept preaching. Why? Why? Why did Paul hear the gospel so loudly in his heart to where it redirected his whole life? Because, friends, 
he knew beyond a shadow of doubt that he was the least likely candidate. He was the last one God would have had in mind. Remember what he did before all this? He murdered Christians. Men and women, Acts chapter 9 says, he knew in his heart that he should have been Jesus' last choice. But when he realized that those are exactly the kind of people that Jesus goes for, are you hearing this? When he realized that those are exactly the kind of people that Jesus traded his life on the cross for, it wrecked him. It wrecked him. And ever since, his life has never been the same. He just couldn't stop talking about this gospel. He couldn't stop talking about his Jesus. The more undeserving you feel of the cross, the louder you hear it. And the louder you hear it, the more it'll affect the trajectory of your life. Are you full? Or do you realize that you are the least likely candidate? So friends, as we end our series here in the book of Acts, my prayer for our church is this, that we never, ever forget who we are. We are beggars of righteousness. We are a last choice kind of people every single one of us who God pursued all the way down into a manger, then up on a cross, then into a grave, no matter the cost. Remember that and go. Carry on Paul's torch. Tell the world about your Jesus. Tell the world about what he's offering for sinners like you and for sinners like me. Tell them like Paul did with boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Father, remind us again of our state before this salvation thing happened to us. Remind us again of our true identity without you, before you, and that is as dead in our sin. We have no hope. But yet, just like you showed us on that manger, you didn't ask us to climb to you, but you came down to us. And you were born as one of us, and you ran the race perfectly as one of us, but then you died for us and traded places with those who are in last place. May this gospel story never lose its beauty in our hearts. May we never be filled and stuffed with self-righteousness to where it falls dull in our ears. Help us now, Father, as we sing the song of response, be reminded again of its beauty. May we be reminded again of our identity of who we are. And as we do so, catapult this church with a passion to preach the gospel to the people that we love, to the city that we love, with boldness and without hindrance, carrying on the torch that the early church and Paul passed on to us.
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.